Well, Merry Christmas. That was pretty, that was pretty good. Um, man, glad to be here with you uh, this morning to celebrate the birth of our Savior and also to open God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2 and then put a finger in Philippians chapter 2. Um, both are familiar passages, one familiar on Christmas and it'll feel normal and right to read and another I think should be but often isn't associated with Christmas. Um, and we'll, we'll read through these two as we consider one thing that I've been thinking a lot about uh, this Christmas season, and that's the unbelievable humility of our Savior. So uh, read with me. We're just going to jump right into the Bible. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read 1 to 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to look just at verses 5 to 8. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much this morning that we can gather together with your people to celebrate our only hope. And that's that you gave us your son, Jesus. And that Jesus took on the most immense humility to come and be our savior. Father, help us to ponder that this morning. Help us to be stirred up by it. Have our affections for Jesus stirred and grown this morning as we come before you to worship you and now to hear from you. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, I want to take you back to... Uh, a long time ago, no, just nine years ago. Nine years ago, 2013, fall semester, I'm a seminary student. I have many compelling classes, wonderful things that I'm learning at, at the seminary I attended. One class, though, is just riveting. It's tantalizing, if you will, with the wonders of the things that I'm learning. And that was my church history class. My, um, my professor, you might call him even a sage, just... <laughs> Mike was my professor. Um, So um, Mike taught me church history. He was a professor in another life, and I was a student in what felt like most of my life. And and Mike was my church history professor, and he was walking through many things. He was teaching us all about these great heroes of the faith and what we called ancient and medieval church history. And though he said dozens, if not hundreds, of just mind-blowing, wonderful things during that class, one thing stuck out, and I still remember it to this day. 
It, was, uh, it really was a, a, an awesome class, but this, this line caught me, and it caught me off guard. We were talking about some of these great heroes of the early church, and Mike said these words. He said, every great man of the faith was humbled greatly, even humiliated greatly by God before they were used greatly by God. Every great man of the faith was humbled greatly, even humiliated greatly by God before they were used greatly by God. Now, he went on to tell us some quick examples of people who had unbelievable disabilities, incredible hardships, poverty, things like that that really made life incredibly difficult, and yet God used them in amazing and mighty ways. And a couple of things happened that afternoon when I left his class and I went back to uh, this house I lived in with some other guys. I was thinking in my room, you know, maybe, maybe I want to be an average man of the faith. Like, maybe great, greatness is overrated. I don't want to be humiliated greatly by God. I don't want suffering. So maybe if he just gives me a little average dose of trial, I'll be an average man of the faith, and life will be great. And that's just not how God works. Um, second thing I did, though, that was um, truly, uh, after just kind of laughing at myself, having that thought, uh, I signed up for an office hour with Mike because I wanted to tease that out. I wanted to think about that statement some more. And so we had a great conversation, and I assure you, we did not even come close to solving all the mysteries of humility. But one thing we did was form a good relationship where we can laugh at our own pride and our own uh, self-centeredness at times, and we can marvel at the fact that God, despite folks like us, somehow finds a way to, to work into us his humility. Humility really is a mysterious thing. To even talk about it, you, you kind of begin to lose it, right? You know, like, I, I remember having a conversation, this was about six years ago, uh, with a student um, who was in my small group. So those of you who know can probably figure it out, um, or at least narrow it down. But there was a guy in my small group, and I remember sitting at breakfast with him, and we were talking about humility, and I was explaining what it is. And, and he looked at me, and a very serious look on his face, he looked down at his breakfast, and he looked back up at me and he said, man, I'm, I'm pretty darn humble. <laughs> and I was like, I kind of smirked, and he goes, no, seriously, I think I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's for real. And he said, no, I mean, at least with my friends. At least with my friends, I'm definitely the most humble person I know. And I just laughed at him. I'm like, that's it. It's gone. Even if it was true, it's gone. Just like that. And that's how it works. If you, if you try to work on humility, if you try to figure out humility and make yourself into a more humble person, it's almost already gone before you even start. Because you'll, you'll say, okay, I'm not going to talk about myself as much or boast in my accomplishments. And you, you'll have some success. And then the thought will enter your head. Man, I'm getting pretty good at this not boasting on myself. Gone. You lost it. It's over. Or, or you'll see someone else that is talking about themselves all the time and braggy. And you'll see them and you're like, glad I'm not like that person. It's gone. Humility. It's like trying to catch smoke and wind. I mean, it's just as soon as you work at it and you try, it goes away. It goes away. So how do, you, how do you get humility? Well, I remember thinking to myself, well, if, if you know, thinking too highly of myself is what we don't want, then I'll just think very lowly of myself. I'll be degrading. I'll uh, make fun of myself, and I'll focus on all the areas that need improvement in my life, which there's quite a few. It was a very easy project to, to go set out on. And so I did that, and I was always thinking of my shortcomings and things like that, but that's not humility either. 
As a matter of fact, I think two things really helped me understand humility. One is a quote by Tim Keller. He said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. In other words, it's not thinking how poor and and pitiful you are that makes you truly humble, but really you just forget about yourself altogether. He calls it the blessed art of self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. He goes on to say, as a matter of fact, the most truly humble person you've ever met probably has no idea that they're even humble and wouldn't think about it for a second. As a matter of fact, they'd probably ask you how you're doing and how your day's been. So truly humble people just forget about themselves. They aren't self-centered at all. Another verse in chapter four of James helped me a ton, and it said, humble yourselves therefore before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And there I found what I think is the true solution to humility. If we're to forget about ourselves, and, and that's the path to true humility, and James, God's word, James inspired by the Spirit, tells us to humble ourselves before the Lord, then I think when we go before the Lord, we're finally in the place where true humility can happen. It's before the Lord that this can happen. Now why talk about humility on Christmas? Why preach on humility on Christmas? Well here's why, I think every one of God's traits as we think about them, his power, his wisdom, his kindness and mercy, his fierce wrath, his justice, all of them, if we give ourselves space to truly consider them, to think about them, to contemplate them, we can get lost in any single attribute of God and be blown away by who he is. And being blown away by who he is, we can, we can really just let our minds go there. We can be entranced by who God is. And, and, and in doing that, you see what happens. You forget about yourself, right? You get caught up in who God is. And when you're caught up in who he is, that beautiful self-forgetfulness begins to happen. And you really start to grow in some meaningful humility. You're forgetting altogether about yourself as you cast your eyes on the almighty God. And if all of his traits can promote a deep growing humility within us, I think Christmas is unique and special because I think it's here where we see in one of its finest moments the humility of God. We can be humbled by the humility of God. See, on Christmas, we find ourselves singing songs like the one we'll sing after this sermon that says, Hail the incarnate deity, the God who became a man, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, the Godhead see. Look at God, he's covered in flesh. And it's the humility, the humility of Christ, the second person of our triune God, the Son of God, humbling himself to be found a human. It's in that that we can get caught up on this attribute, the humility of God, and be blown away by it, and in doing so, grow in our own humility. So my goal for the rest of our time together is just to consider the humility of Christ in hopes that it will capture who we are, stir up our affections, gather our attention on Christ, taking it off of us, and we may begin to see a little humility produced in us in the process. Now, as you think about these 
these truths about Jesus as he straps on humanity is something really important I want to urge you to do, and that's not, don't think about these as simple, neat principles about Jesus, like nice talking points at lunch today. Don't do that. Don't make it just true statements about Jesus. You have to maintain the relational component to these truths. Everything that we're going to talk about that's true about Jesus is true for you, and it's true for me. And when I talk about my parents, I may say things like, man, you can't believe how much they had to sacrifice to get me, like, to 18 just alive, right? Like, just to get me there and be alive, they had to go through so much, so many hospital visits, so, so much sacrifice of time and energy and emotional uh, just turmoil. Um, so many things they had to go through because there's, some of you know there's two of me. I have a twin brother. And so there's just a lot, just a lot coming at them. But when I talk about the true things my parents did, it's not just, oh, that's a nice truth about them. It's that was true. And every one of those truths is a testimony of their love for me. It's true things that, that, that bear the true relationship that they have for me and their love for me. So let's look at Christ. Let's look at Luke 2.7 again quickly. If you have your Bibles, if not, I'll just read it. You know it. But it says, And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him at the end. No place for him at the end. Think about this for a second. The one who tells us and promises us that in his father's house there are many rooms and I go there to prepare a place for you. The one who came to prepare a place in his father's house for us for all of eternity came to the world he created and there's no room, not a simple room in a simple inn for him to be born in. No room for him at all. And I want to ask, does anyone feel like you can't find your place? You feel left out? You feel alone and lonely? Jesus knows. Jesus knows. The Son of God was born into exclusion for people just like us. How about this? The, the holy, 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 clean among the cleanliest clean, Son of God, came to make us holy and he was born in a stable with the cows and the goats and the sheep and the chickens. Hey, have you ever thought about this? The first breath, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God ever drew stunk like manure. It smelled foul. Anyone uh, feel dirty, filthy? You think about the sins of your past and maybe even your present and they make you feel foul? Your mess isn't too foul for this humble Messiah. He was born into foulness for people like us. Let's, uh, let's, let's look at his family for a second. He was born to Joseph and Mary. It says Joseph of Nazareth. Joseph of Nazareth is where he was born. Um, let's first, before we get to Joseph and Mary, let's talk about that family tree. If you ever go to Matthew and look at the genealogy, uh, you'll notice a couple categories of people. I like to say there's noteworthy people, there's nobodies, and there's notorious. 
right? You have all that in his family tree. You got noteworthy people. You got faithful, great people that did wonderful things. You know them. You'll see them in there, and you're like, wow, man, part of his family tree. Then you got nobodies. I don't care how astute your Bible knowledge is. You're going to run up into some names in that genealogy and be like, who? Hang on, there's, there's more than one of that person in the, which one is that? Is that dude's name, Salmon or Salmon? How do you say that? You know, you just, there's things like this you see and you're like, who is that? But my favorite is the notorious ones. You have swindlers and scammers. You have people who stole. You have disobedient, faithless people. You have genuine scandal and murder and you have all sorts of stories in there that are definitely not PG enough to read with my kids right over there. And so, and, and it's all in Jesus' family tree. That's what he was born into. That's the family heritage he inherits when he comes to this earth. And this is a fun one to ask on Christmas. Anybody feel like you got a crazy family? If you think you don't, you're the crazy one. <laughs> like, it's just true. Like, if you're like, no, man, family's pretty normal. No, it ain't. It's you. Um, that's okay. That's okay. Merry Christmas. That's my gift to you. Um, no, seriously, if you, if, you, if you have a crazy family, if you feel like your family has all kinds of messed up people in it, and you're dealing with the drama of your family, Jesus knows the Son of God was born into a wild family. <laughs> For folks like us, think about that. Also, look at his immediate family. His dad was a tradesman from what might be one of the most unimpressive towns in all of Israel, a carpenter from Nazareth. That'd be like me saying, uh, hey, do you know who Mike from Eminem Auto Repair in Winsboro, South Carolina? Y'all know him? You're like, I'm sorry, what, where? Em Winsboro? Is that, what is that? You don't know, right? That's, that's Joseph. Just a carpenter from Nazareth. He wasn't born into fame. He wasn't born into royalty. He was born to the simplest of the simple. Unimpressive town, unknown and forgotten family. And maybe some of you feel unimpressive or unimportant, overlooked, maybe even forgotten. But the one who was worshipped from all eternity had the humility to step into forgottenness and was born into obscurity for folks like you and I. And it's not just the circumstances of his birth, right? It's not just that um, that makes his, his coming to earth um, so humble. It's the fact that he was born, the fact that he became a human that just puts on display his humility, right? And that's what Paul can't get over in, in Philippians 2. And I love it. He, it's a scandal to Paul, but it's true, and he knows it's true. He says that, that Christ, though he was in the form of God, that he was the same stuff of God. He was God, God of gods. But he was just all of God. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Paul's blown away by the fact that Christ, the second person in the Trinity, who was God, becomes a man. And not just a man, but a baby. Now, I've got a, I think I'd like to say that I've become a bit of a, an expert in what I call early years humanity here of late. Um, maybe another way to put it is I, I understand babies and little kids. That's why, right there that whole row. Um, yeah, so I get it, and I can, like, think about what I've experienced with them, and what I begin to realize is as I consider Christ, 
the Son of God, worshiped by millions of angels, becomes what I experience with these little, little ones. And, and just thinking about it blows me away, the humility of Christ to step away from that place of prominence to a place of complete obscurity. Think about this, the one who sustains all things by the power of his word, who holds it all together by the power of his word, will die if Mary doesn't nurse him and keep him warm. Do any of you feel vulnerable or weak? Jesus knows. He was born into weakness for folks like us. The one who came to clothe us in perfect, imputed righteousness had to have his dirty diaper changed again and again and again and again. Does anyone feel dirty? Does anyone feel like an inconvenience, like someone's always having to come behind you and clean up your mess? Jesus knows he was born into that. He was born into that for folks like us. The one who came to wipe away every tear shed them all night long. Think about this. The first sound the Savior, the Son of God made were, were screams of agony and discomfort like every baby that's ever entered the world does. Does anyone feel like there's pain, whether it's physical chronic pain or maybe it's, it's emotional pain and, and feel like the tears are never gonna end and the hurt's never gonna stop? Jesus knows. He was born into a world of tears for people like us. The one who would rescue us from all of our enemies had to be rescued from a psychotic tyrant King Herod who wanted to get rid of any competing monarch, and so he's trying to kill babies. Think about it. Someone had to rescue Jesus and had to take him away from a crazy person who was trying to kill him. Yet he's the one that's going to rescue us from our great enemies, from sin, the death, the devil. He's going to rescue us, but he has to first be rescued. How humble is that? How humble is that? Does anyone feel like they need rescuing, like they're desperate? Jesus knows. He went through that. He entered this world for folks like us. A couple of years later, Jesus would try uh, to get his first steps in, and he would fumble and fall and skin his knees. And think about that. The man who walked on water would get frustrated because he couldn't keep his feet under him and he fell over and over again. Think about this two and a half years, maybe two years old. He's trying to ask Mary for something and he can't find the words and he's just frustrated because he can't explain what he wants to say. The, the word of God made flesh couldn't find the words to communicate to his mom and his dad. How humble, how low for our savior to go to become a man just like us. Does anyone feel frustrated and discouraged? Do you feel limited? Jesus knows. He was born into that for you and I. Because it's so normal, because it's part of our existence, I think we fail to see how modest humanity is, especially when you're little, how, how incapable you are, how dependent on others you are to take care of you and to do things for you. And that's what our Savior entered into. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, straps on the ultimate humility of humanity. And he does it 
for people like us. And I would stop there, but Paul won't let us because we know ultimately the most humility that Christ displays happens not in his birth, but as Paul says in verse eight, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it's there when he's stripped and he's beaten and he's treated like a criminal and laughed at and mocked when he, when he displays his ultimate humility in dying. Son of God dies. It's there that he shows us what true humility looks like. And my final question for you is this. Anyone feel broken beyond repair? Feel like you're so messed up that your sin has made you unreconcilable to God? Anyone feel like, like there's burdens that you will always bear and that deep down in your heart, you, you are unforgivable and unrecoverable? Anyone feel that way? Listen, the Son of God was born to die for folks like you and us. He came to offer his life, give us his perfect righteousness, that we could be called the righteous children of God, and that's why we celebrate on Christmas. This Christmas, as we give and receive gifts, receive the gift from God that can only be received as a gift from God of humility. Do it by setting your eyes on the most unbelievable gift, God's own Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the unbelievable humility of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that his willingness to take on such lowliness is the only reason the lowly like us can be exalted and be called children of the living God. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came. Thank you for this wonderful season that we get to celebrate is coming. Lord, I pray that it does humble us in all the right ways and that our hearts and our minds and our affections are carried to Jesus and who he is and they're carried away from us and our self-centeredness. Lord, help us to do that through the power of your spirit. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.